Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us. Gerald is here, of course, as always. And the other pea on the pod this evening is a first-timer. She's never been on this program before. We've followed each other on social media for quite a while, but she's never made her way over to the peas. So I'm so excited she's here. This is a topic that she handpicked herself to also talk about tonight on The Countdown. Let's say hello to Melissa from Brook Reading. Melissa, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. You know, I guess we, we followed each other online for a little while, and we kind of became tight during live stream for The Cure. We we had a, we had some moments, Melissa. We, we love each other, and we found out during live stream for The Cure. So thank you so much for all your support. You actually won uh, one of the prizes I gave away there uh, for the two-piece prize pack, and you happen to be wearing your T-shirt tonight. Fittingly for the recording. Yes. So thank you so much. So, uh, Melissa, why don't you tell everyone, because you've never been on the show before, so just real quick, why don't you give them kind of a a detail of what you do, what Brook Reading is all about? Thank you. Yeah. I, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I do love your show and I'm excited to be here. Um, Thank you. Brook Reading is a kind of a review podcast a la like what you do for movies and what like a lot of our pals do um, for film and TV, um, but in regards to books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always read a book a week, gave it a chapter by chapter summary, gave a little bio on the author. Um, and that was basically been the standard for the past like year and a half or a little more. But in the past couple months, I've started to change it up where... I've included a little more pop culture, a little more current events, a little more things that are like important to me. So I've incorporated like magazine articles that you may have found or stuff online that's going on. So that's been okay. kind of a cool twist to it. Cool. Well, yeah, you got a good thing going over there. And like I said, I, I really fell in love with you during live stream. I started kind of following you a little more closely. And uh, I mean, you're awesome. You're just an awesome person. I'm so excited Aww. that you're here. Finally, I'm sure you'll be back again, of course, as well. But so excited to finally get you back uh, or get you here on the show. So thank you so much for being here. Thank now, you. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we do a top five show here, right? So we do a countdown show. It is uh, music, TV, movies, pop culture, and it often evolves into movies because there's so fun to talk about. And there's so many out there that are so subjective that you can have such great discussions about. Now, I wanted to have you on the show and we started talking about that during the live stream. And now here we are a few weeks later. And, uh, you know, you kind of came up with this topic and it kind of threw some people for a loop online, myself included. <laughs> so why don't you, uh, you know, I don't, the parameters are maybe going to be a little vague, but why don't you tell everyone what the countdown is and kind of how you defined it when you came up with your list? Okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I know. I, I didn't realize it was going to, uh, to kind of, you know, throw off the universe as it were. Yeah, um, right. but so 
in my, I'm, I'm not a huge movie buff. I mean, I like the movies that I like. Um, yeah. But the majority of the movies that I do like are set during different time periods in history. Mm-hmm. So when I came to it and we didn't really know when I, you know, when I approached you, we didn't really know how to break down like top five movies that have been set during different time periods in history. Like that's <laughs> right. a really long title. Um, <laughs> right. So, top five movies that have existed in another time. <laughs> that is right. not present day. Yeah. Like exactly. That's kind of what I wanted to do. And I had known that you had done like biopics, which I right. love. Um, oh, so you. I, you know, I, I feel bad that I like couldn't have been a part of that, but that was a great episode um so i figured yes you're right kind of make it a little more vague but like any movie that was not set during the present day that it was supposed to be in right it was purposefully set during like world war ii or civil war or you know i'm bringing up a lot of war stuff but (laughs) no yeah you are and it's funny that you do melissa because uh some personal parameters i gave myself because i'm gonna do a war movie countdown i have that on my agenda okay so i didn't do any war movies Ah. I, I, i stayed away from anything that was or at least that that was the central focal point was the war or whatever war it may be uh, it's okay if you did. I just didn't do that because I know I'm going to be doing a separate list with a lot of those films. But with that being said, so for a period piece for me, so, you know, the countdown is basically our top five period piece films. Yes. So what I said is I said, okay, uh, first of all, yes, the number one criteria is that it had to take place in an era prior to when it was made, mm-hmm. when, the, when it was filmed. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is... Uh, I personally bought a lot into like the costume design. Yeah. And <laughs> d- is that like an elevated element to the movie? Like, in other words, are these costumes uh, taking me back to that era? Um, and you'll see in my picks that a lot of them um, fall in that under that umbrella. So that's kind of what I did personally. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you'll see when I get into my picks. But uh, for you, was it more like wartime stuff? Because you did bring up that. I did. And I, um, so the only parameter, the parameter that I tried to stick to the hardest, and I don't think I did actually was, (laughs) I I tried to pick different eras in history. Um, I'm a little bit of a history buff, not like a nerd by any means, but you know, obviously reading a lot, I read a lot of different time periods and I tried to do ones from different eras, but that was really difficult because like, I think two of my favorite movies, I guess, are set during the same time period, but maybe I succeeded. I'm not really sure. But yeah, definitely costuming brings in a huge aspect of like transplanting you into that time period. A hundred percent. There's definitely two movies on my list that I, that, I fear first of all, the, the wardrobe is just so iconic, but then also, yeah, it really has a, a big way to like move you into that that time period right and and then the only other thing that i kind of thought about when i was ordering my list and i i removed some things from the list some movies from the list was that it had to or it didn't have to but in my personal parameters was that it's a movie where the generation is no longer with us so mm. it, it would be a movie from a time where there are no, there's no living folks right now that would be able to recount any of that um, story Interesting. so i kind of so at least I don't think so. There's one movie that's questionable or it's possible, uh, but they would be really effing old. So yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Gotcha. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. But there's one movie that it's a possibility. Really? Um, oh, I'm so intrigued to hear yours. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really excited that I get to talk about one movie tonight because it, it does. I feel like it does fit in this category. I don't know if I'll get some heat for it, but um, 
it definitely fits for me. And I never get a chance to talk about this movie for whatever reason, because the different you know countdowns that I've done, it just hasn't fit in the topic. And it actually fits tonight, and I get to talk about it. So I'm really excited about that one especially. So, uh, well, I'm excited to see what you have too, Melissa. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. So Melissa's here from Brook Reading Guys. She's a first-time guest. All of her information will be in the show notes for you to follow after the episode. But I'm going to let you start us, Melissa, okay? So let's go. I guess we're saying period piece films. What's your number five? We're doing five? this. Cool. Here we are. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, all right. I um, Listening to your show, being an avid listener, I tried to kind of tailor it to how you guys, you know, don't reveal the surprise right away. Um, right. So my number five, which could be could be my number one, but whatever. Um, <laughs> now that I'm like looking at the rest of my list, my number five came out in 2005, but was set during um, the early fifties. And like you said, yeah, I kind of thought about that too. Like are the people from that generation still around? So I guess these people or I mean, maybe their kids would be or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, that was a difficult one. But I, this movie is really original. I haven't seen a lot of movies like this. And again, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of movies, but it's mm-hmm. entirely in black and white. The cast is outstanding. Like every person in it, you're watching it and you're going, oh my God, I know them from this. Oh my God, I know them from that. I recognize them from this. Right. The main cast, Jeff Daniels, David Strathairn, who I have a little bit of a crush on, even though he's an older gentleman. Uh, <laughs> Alex Borstein. <laughs> yeah. Alex Borstein, Tate Donovan, Patricia Clarkson, Robert Downey Jr., and George Clooney, and Frank Langella. It is good night and good luck. That's what I thought you were talking about, and uh, oh, I it love came it. more. It came more into focus as you went down the cast list. I thought that might be where you were going, so I was glad. I haven't seen this since it came out, so my oh. memory's kind of hazy of it. But I do know that it's. I feel like it had a lot of Academy Award nominations, and it was this. Um, maybe maybe you don't know, maybe you do know, but was was Clooney involved in this behind the camera too? Did he yeah, direct this? He was a director. Okay. I went on okay. IMDb and I wrote down some extra stuff because. I've seen it so many times, but yeah, like I don't know a lot of background stuff about any movie. Um, but yeah, he directed <laughs> it um, and he, you know, didn't have a major role in it, but he was, you know, pretty, pretty much um, important in every scene. Um, what yeah, I love so. about it is that it's set during one of my favorite time periods in history, which was the House on american Activities Committee with Senator McCarthy, mm-hmm. when especially people in Hollywood were getting blacklisted because they thought they were having communist ties. Mm-hmm. And yep. Edward R. Murrow, who play, uh, was played by David Strathairn, was um, a reporter for CBS. And he was doing, you know, he did a news piece, but he would also interview like celebrities of the time and whatnot. But um, he also, after really like the McCarthyism started to hit the fan, he started reporting on it and started just to like breaking boundaries with that kind of stuff. Uh, sponsors for his show were starting to, you know, pull themselves away because they didn't want to be blacklisted themselves. Um, the head of CBS, so I can't remember his name, um, was, you know, he, he said, I like, I always backed your play, but this is, you know, you're really taking us, you know, you're really, you know, putting all of our feet to the fire here and, you know, it's getting rough. But um, he ended up being, you know, awarded the five years later with like this, not like lifetime, you know, TV achievement award, but like a very high achievement award. Sure. And he has the infamous speech where he talks about um, television can, you know, instead of just being an entertainment piece, it can also teach. And that is like one of my favorite speeches. <laughs> 
Well, that's a good pick. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a history buff as well, and this is a, a great kind of insight into that that era. And uh, I love when, you know, really kind of folks that are known for their acting, in other words, that's their soul, like what people jump, jump to the front of their mind, uh, take a stab at something else, you know, and I thought Clooney did really well here. That's why I was trying to recollect if he was the director on it, because I remember that kind of being a thing um, that, he, you know, that he took on and he did really well with. So Good Night and Good Luck is your number five, which is a movie that I, I sadly need to revisit. So uh, thank you for putting that on my to-do list, because I'm going to make that happen. Of course. So my number five is, um, so that you said Good Night and Good Luck came out in 2005, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so did this. So oh, look wow. there. So another 2005 film is my number five. It's by one of my favorite filmmakers, a female filmmaker, Sofia Coppola. And it stars Kirsten Dunst. Marie Antoinette would be my number five. Ooh, you seen this? Nice. No, I haven't. Actually, right. you're going to hear that a lot tonight. No, I haven't seen this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much I could say about this movie. Uh, and we've already I've already kind of told you that costumes are going to be a big part of my of my list in general. And this is uh, right up there. I mean, the costumes are amazing. Takes place during the French Revolution. Obviously, a very tragic but iconic figure in history is Marie Antoinette and Kirsten Dunst, man. I mean, just on another level, she was nominated for the Academy Award for this role. Takes place in the 1700s during the French Revolution. And, um, you know, she's overthrown by her own people. And it's what's really cool and what Sofia Coppola does in this movie, I would recommend you watching it, is that it's a very classic 1700s story that, you know, you would learn in world history when you're in high school or college. But what she does is she films it almost like a punk rock video. Like it's very like vibrant and like hip. Uh, it oh, wow. feels it feels very like almost like 1980s. Oh my god! <laughs> like you know, 200 years after what it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, just because of the way that Sofia Coppola's kind of um, you know eye for storytelling is, and I love her anyway. She's one of my favorite filmmakers. So. Uh, yeah, Marie Antoinette. I mean, Kirsten Dunst is in another world in this movie. I love her. And my wife looks like Kirsten Dunst, which you may have heard, you may have heard me say on the show before. But uh, that's her celebrity doppelganger, which I think is cool, too. Oh, wow. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Jason Schwartzman has a really cool uh, role in this. He plays uh, Louis the Sixteenth. You know, Marie Antoinette married him at the age of fifteen, yes. famously, mm-hmm. and then became queen at nineteen. Uh, so just a crazy story. Her life in general is just a crazy story, and the way it's told uh, in this movie, like I said, the best way I would describe it's like a punk rock video almost. Nice. So uh, yeah, I would say check it out, especially if you have any interest in that that you know era of history. But that's my number five. No, I definitely do. That's very cool. That's a that's a great one. I've heard amazing things about it from friends of mine, and um, yeah, I love Kirsten Dunst. I've oh my god, <laughs> I love her. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. so yeah. she actually yeah, pops she's... up in one of my <laughs> one of my picks oh, now. Oh, okay, yeah. nice. All right, well, I'll swing it back over to you then. So, what is? I know you haven't seen that one. So, what's your number four? So, my number four is actually the one uh, with Kirsten Dunst in it, not as a starting role, but as a very very strong supporting role. Um, came out in 2016. Um, I found out about this because um, being a teacher for the past few years, this is based on a book. And the book is heavily um, assigned for summer reading for kids, especially in like seventh, eighth grade and then in high school. Um, directed by Theodore Melfi, who I'm not terribly familiar with, but again, such an amazing ensemble cast. Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, Kirsten Dunst, Janelle Monet, Kevin Costner, Jim Parsons. It is Hidden Figures. Good one. Yeah. Oh, this is I a- love this movie so much. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is a great film. This came up actually this week. We did our top five African-American movies, and we, we had a little discussion about this one and many others. But uh, yeah, very, uh, I mean, great movie. It's very recent. Um, yeah. I, I, I love Costner in this too, man. He, he I, I love him. I, I love him. Yeah. Like I know, I know sometimes it's split where people are kind of like, he's kind of run his course, but every time he turns up in a movie, I'm like, <laughs> God, he's so good, you know? Uh, not to take away from all, all of the obvious amazing women in this film. I didn't mean to do that. But no, I, I no, know. it's fine. I just wanted to point that out whenever Costner pops up. I'm just like, oh, yeah, Costner, man. You know, <laughs> I love him. So, um, yeah, but great film. Go ahead and talk a little bit about why you love it. It's, well, it's, first of all, it's funny that you say that because um, Costner pops up in another one of my movies, too. Um, <laughs> nice. And he is usually the weakest link for me. Um, <laughs> okay, all right. Just, you know, yeah, I guess I'm one of those I hear that on, a lot. No, I hear that a lot. Yeah, I know I'm in the minority for sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm one of those people on the other side. But this movie introduced me. For, I had known Octavia Spencer from The Help. Um, but I had never seen Taraji P. Henson in anything. I never, I only knew Janelle Monet as a, a musician. Yeah. And I only knew Jim Parsons in the friggin' Big Bang Theory. And then he comes out in this and he's just fantastic. Like he blows out of the water. Um, but yeah, it's basically the story of Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, who all worked for NASA. Um, and they worked in the science, engineering, and math department. But this kind of shows their their rise from just being like a computer, they were called, to Katherine Johnson helping. Uh, she became an integral part of the landing of the Friendship 7 that uh, John Glenn was on. Mm-hmm. Um, she became, like, and the tie between her and Glenn, like, he, there was a lot of issues with, um, I believe, the return trip for his uh, flight, or whatever you call it. Um, right, mission, right. Mission, thank you. And she like I said, was super integral in making that math happen so he can get back safely. Uh, Dorothy Vaughn taught herself and ran the first installment of IBM computers at NASA. And then Mary Jackson went to school to get her certification to become a NASA engineer, um, which was revolutionary at the time because some schools were still segregated and, you know, it was during all that time. Um, Right. Funnily enough that you again that you bring up Costner, I, I I watched this again recently just because I mean I've seen it so many times, but I wanted to get things straight. Mm-hmm, and then I did a little bit of research on it, and Costner's his particular role, Al Harrison is his name in the movie, is not a real person. It was oh wow, I didn't know that. I know, me neither. It was kind of a oh no, <laughs> I almost knocked over right. my mic. Um, it was kind of a conglomerate of um, a bunch of different people from NASA at the time. Um, a bunch of different supervisors. Um, but yeah, his his actual character that they wrote was just kind of like a placeholder for somebody that, you know, uh, Catherine Jackson would have worked for at the time. Okay. No, Catherine Johnson, sorry. Uh, who she would have worked for at the time. So yeah, I uh, yeah, I went and did a little bit of research. Um, and I know that. it's crazy. The one of the scenes too that like I, I mean, for like half the movie, I'm crying my eyes out as it is. <laughs> um, sure. Just because it's so, <laughs> it's so dramatic and it's so like well done and well, uh, even the even the people in it that you know have like these smaller bit parts that I've never heard of, their performance is just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but the scene where um, Kevin Costner's character realizes that uh, Taraji P Henson is like never at her desk because she's running back and forth to go to the colored bathrooms, mm-hmm. and he knocks down the the colored restroom sign, and he's like, "No, at NASA we're all equal." Blah blah blah. That actually hadn't that didn't happen either. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because well, was, yeah, yeah, because, up for cinema, I'm sure, but yeah, yeah, um, which I mean, it a hundred percent added to the drama of the piece. But um, NASA had actually already been integrated, so they didn't have that issue to the damn bathroom for forty minutes a day. What are you doing there? 
We're T-minus zero here. I put a lot of faith in you. There's no bathroom for me here. What do you mean there's no bathroom for you there here? There is no bathroom. There are no colored bathrooms in this building or any building outside the West Campus, which is half a mile away. Did you know that? I have to walk to Timbuktu just to relieve myself. And I can't use one of the handy bikes. Picture that, Mr. Harrison. My uniform, skirt below my knees, my heels, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. And I work like a dog, day and night, living off a of coffee from a pot none of you want to touch. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, wow, a couple of pieces of trivia there that I didn't know. Oh, uh, right? <laughs> One thing that stands out to me uh, about hidden figures that I like to mention whenever it comes up is when uh, Henson won the Academy Award and she brought the actual figure on stage with her. Did you see that? Yes. Oh, my God. At, at the Oscars. I mean, just chills, man. That, uh, I mean, first of all, how nerve wracking is it to portray someone that's still alive? Because you obviously want to get it right. You know yeah. what I mean? And you, it's you know i don't know it's just weird to me i'm not an actor but it's just weird to me that you know you you would be okay with millions of strangers but if you know that one person uh that, that you're portraying is alive and they're gonna see it that's what really you focus on you know which i guess probably helps most people's performance in that scenario but yeah obviously she killed it in that as 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 did the majority of the cast in that movie so great pick hidden figures is your number four thank you my my number four i think you know this about me but uh i'm a horror fanatic right mm-hmm. so i have a couple of horror movies in my top five so i apologize most no of, i don't apologize uh, i'm great with that <laughs> i'm uh you know i always sneak one in and it was kind of easy to do with with my number four because it jumped to me right away it was literally the first movie i thought of when you mentioned this this topic but it takes place in what would be modern day romania but of course in lore it is transylvania so in 1992 francis ford coppola who i just did sophia coppola at number five you see that Mm -hmm, i see so now so now pops is at number four with bram stoker's dracula which came out in 1992 have you seen this friend's favorite movie <laughs> oh nice well good yes yeah. i've seen it many times okay great i mean uh, i mean then you know but this is just a sexy horror romance it is uh winona Ryder, who i'm in love with i always have been uh, mm-hmm. i still am today even as the mother figure on stranger things i mean anything she does i, I just love her yeah uh, i've followed her uh really since the 80s and heathers and all the way through oh, today so i love that movie <laughs> Uh, she's amazing as Mina Harker and, uh, you know, very sexy and very kind of, um, you know, this innocent figure that, you know, and it, and it's weird too. And I've talked about this on the show before too, when we did 1990s horror a couple years ago. Um, but Dracula is cool because you don't get a horror movie romance. Like you don't get a romance horror crossover very often. Uh, I do not count the Twilight films. <laughs> I had some, <somebody. laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a book, I know you're a book woman. So I just let you know. No, I've had somebody mention that books. to me before, and I'm like, come on. No, no we're not doing that, God. guys. Um, so that's what this is. You know, it's a love story, and it's it's uh, it's very tragic, and it's very sexy, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of symbolism in the romance between Mina and Dracula, and to me, it's very beautiful, and obviously, you're dealing with just a, I mean, you know, as a, as a book person, but you're just dealing with such a classic novel and a classic story. Yeah that has been romanticized for literally, uh, you know, 200 years. And now Francis Ford Coppola brings this just kind of epic 
thing to the screen, you know, because I did get to see it in the theater and I've seen it many, many times since. Uh, the 4K restoration of this is amazing, by the way, if you, if you get a chance to throw that on the TV. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula, just a beautiful film. Uh, it's in the horror realm, which I love uh, by default, but obviously set in the late 1800s. So it is a period piece. And that's uh, my number four. Yeah, that's, you f- I love it. That's <laughs> where a- are you at? Where are you at on the horror spectrum? You're a horror fan, right? I am a horror fan. I'm a huge, my, Stephen King is my favorite author, like of all time, all time. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's why all the, the, <laughs> the carry responses tickled me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big horror fan. Like I'm not, again, just not movies, not being my first like go-to, like I'll watch a TV show before I watch a movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not well versed in like a lot of the newer horror movies that I hear are amazing. I still haven't well, seen. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. You might have one to talk about here. In okay. A <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's okay. So that's it for me. So we're we're back over to you, Melissa, for your number three. What do you got? Cool. So um, okay. So again, this one I I had a, a fight with myself too, like internally, because this has been a favorite movie of mine since it came out. I'm gleaning that because you said you saw Bram Stoker's Dracula in the theater that we're kind of around the same age. Because yeah. I would have been able to see that in the theater as well. This, um, I saw it probably a year or two after it came out. came out in 1989. It has been one of my favorite movies since then because it is a Robin Williams movie and he is just amazing. But then again, this was the first movie that I got. Dis- uh, I discovered Ethan Hawke, um, Robert Sean Leonard, the dad from <laughs> That 70s Show is in it, <laughs> and mm-hmm, yeah. it is Dead Poet Society. No matter what anybody tells you, Words and ideas can change the world. Now, see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them, thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. A little secret for you. Huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Yeah, great This one. movie, like, almost single-handedly made me want to become a teacher. Oh, yeah. Well, I could see that. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, obviously. And bravo, by the way. I mean, just teachers. I just, I, I love I love <laughs> oh. teachers. So, bravo. I mean, well. uh, hats off to you. <laughs> hats off to Robin Williams in this movie, you know? Yeah, let's uh, hats off to him more because this was like, <laughs> I mean, I know he's just stunning in, like, everything he does. And, I mean, you know, his genie will always reign supreme for me. Um, yeah, sure. But this one, he just, you know, he blew it out of the water in some scenes where he didn't have anything to say. Um, There's a scene and it's kind of like not one of the like bigger, more, um, you know, it's not one of the more popular scenes. But there's this quiet scene where he's talking to uh, Robert Sean Leonard, who was um, Neil Perry, Mm -hmm. the kid that. um, The uh, tragic guy, right? Yeah, had Mm -hmm. his tragic end, unfortunately. But he goes to him kind of before, you know, a little bit before that happens. And he's debating about whether he should 
you know, really follow his heart and, you know, take play, take part in theater or follow his, his dad's kind of orders, basically. And right. Robin Williams barely says anything throughout the seat. Like, he answers him and he gives him some advice and stuff like that. But his just, you can tell by looking at his eyes and looking at his face that he's just so invested in this kid and his future. And, you know, and I'm just like, that's what teachers are supposed to be about. Um, <laughs> um, right, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's so fantastic. And of course, the last scene where they all, all of his students honor him by standing on the desks uh, and reciting Walt Whitman. I, I, I'm, I'm broken for like a week. <laughs> iconic. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, just iconic. Uh, that's a filmmaker that I like a lot, too, is Peter Weir. And he did uh, The Truman Show, which I also loved. Oh, OK. Um, so he has a very keen eye for filmmaking. I like him. You know, this is a, uh, you know, Dead Post is a great movie. And it, it's it's one that's been on my radar for a few lists. And that's another one I was I was kind of talking to you in the intro about how there's a movie I'm excited to talk about tonight. Dead Post is another one that I haven't been able to fit on any list I've, I've ever done. <laughs> and it's so ironic because I love that movie so, so much. I just haven't had a chance to talk about it on the show. But, uh, you know, thank you for mentioning it. I mean, it, I mean, Robin Williams' performance and Peter Weir's direction are really what jump out to me about this movie. And, you know, Robin Williams is such a just frenzied kind of maniac in his life. And when you get a role like Dead Poet Society, and I also often think of Goodwill Hunting also. Yeah. Uh, he's so subdued and calm. Mm-hmm. And what people might not stop to think about is that's that's fucking acting, bro, because he's not that way. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's not, it's, it must be very hard for him to be bottled up like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he is in dead poet society. And that's what makes this such an amazing performance. You know, it'd be similar to like a really quiet, shy guy being super boisterous and outgoing on, on screen. You know what I mean? It's very similar in that way. Yeah. So exactly. I love it. I, I love it. I mean, Robin Williams is obviously the number one draw for me to this movie, but it is a great film. And, uh, it's an '80s film too, and I'm I'm an '80s guy. So mm-hmm. you said it came you said it came out in the '80s, right? 80, '89, yep. '89, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, Dead Poet Society, good pick. All right, Thank Melissa. You. So the horror train's gonna keep rolling for me. Toot, toot. And re- <laughs> and regular listeners to the show, perhaps yourself even, are gonna be like, "Oh Jesus, this thing again." But <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie, and it is absolutely a period piece because it takes place in Puritan, New England in the 1630s. Uh, It is a 10 out of 10 film for me. It was in my top five films of the decade of any genre. Hmm. It came out in 2015 from a filmmaker I love, Robert Eggers, and it is a movie called The Witch. Have you seen seen The Witch? No. So this takes place, like I said, uh, literally like the same year that the that they landed on Plymouth Rock. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's like the first, like when colonies were just being created at uh, Puritan, New England in the 1630s. And of course, the Salem witch trials, as we know, uh, soon followed in that same era. So this is a film that's kind of like a, uh, a prequel to the Salem with witchcraft trials, if you will. But uh, it's a very, I don't want to give anything away because I do recommend everyone see it, but it's a very eerie family story. And yeah. there are supernatural elements that incorporate the lore that we know from history of the Salem Witch Trials uh, into this kind of fabricated fictional story. Um, But the imagery is just haunting and dark, and it's just, it's such a quiet horror. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a very, it's a very uh, atmospheric horror movie. Like, it doesn't, there's no jump scares in the movie. Oh. 
perfect. Uh, you know, the climax, the climax is amazing. And uh, Black Phillip will haunt your dreams. You'll know what I mean when you watch it. Oh, boy. Uh, at the end, kind of like the supernatural, supernatural creature at the end of the film and the last act of the film. Uh, but prior to that is this family dealing with hysteria. Uh, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. They have no one. They're outcasts. And they're starting to turn on each other. You know, it's the parents and three children. So there's a family of five. And uh, do you know what I mean? Like, it's if those were the only people that you were with for years, yeah, it, it starts to take on a little bit of a... And I've actually made the analogy before on this show that, to me, this movie is like The Shining in colonial New England. Mm. That's what it. That's what it is to me. It's a very, it's a very cabin fever kind of descending into mayhem and kind of turning on the only people that you know because you you're losing you're losing your mind to a certain extent so uh and it does have some supernatural stuff that's built in at the end with the witches and and how that's kind of incorporated i also love because it's a very it's not like over the top like special effects or anything cheesy like that it's just kind of built into the narrative to where the the viewer goes uh you know the audience goes well what did i just see did i just see something out of this world or was that just a natural occurrence and and my mind is is fucking with me does that make sense (laughs) wow yeah yeah, i know i know know you haven't seen it but um that's kind of what this movie does and you know robert eggers is an amazing filmmaker he also just did the lighthouse which came out this year that i loved as well okay uh so yeah check it out the witch i mean you you like horror so i would say give it a go Uh, yeah but that's my number three Oh, wow. I love it. You definitely sold me because you compared it to The Shining. And okay, good. Um, and set, I know it's like pre Salem Witch Trials, but that's another one of my favorite time periods in history. Yeah, I was um, just going to ask if that interests you because if it does, uh, I, I think it would, you would be hard pressed to not at least get something out of The Witch. You know, obviously it's a fictional story, but it uses that, you know, lore that we know typically in American history and it kind of plays on that. Wow. Um, which I like too because it's almost in a way. You know, I don't know that this was Egger's intention, but it's almost like in a way like revisionist history a little bit because it's like this is obviously a story that that didn't happen or that there's no record of happening. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they're taking what we know happened or what is recorded and they're kind of creating these characters in that environment. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and it's really cool. I mean, I love that time period as well. So I was, you know, I've been to Salem. I went there on Halloween about four or five years ago. Nice. Uh, which was an amazing experience. I went to the Witchcraft Trials Museum they have there, and I went on a tour of all everything. And oh, wow. I mean, and, and that was actually before I even saw this movie. So yeah, I would say look it up, especially if you're into that era of history. So it's called The Witch from cool. uh, 2015. Nice. I already wrote it down. I'm definitely going to check it out. <laughs> That's All right, Melissa. So we're up to our runner ups. Uh, looking good so far. What do you got over there at your number two? It's exciting. So my number two is actually where uh, your one of your favorite celebrities, Mr. Kevin Costner, pops up again. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yep. A little, another classic, 1991, um, but set during the Crusades or after the Crusades. Uh, Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, Alan Rickman, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Christian nice. Slater. It's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. I, of course it is. Oh my God. Everything I do, I do for you. <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> yes. So good. That song's got to make its way onto the episode now. Oh God. Uh, that has been my favorite song since this, sure. like one of my favorite songs. Sure. Oh, I think I may have seen this in the theater. I actually can't remember when I first saw it, but I know when it came out, I was in like seventh, eighth grade. 
And the, you know, the boy I was dating at the time, that was our song. So like every time that came on at a school dance, that was what we danced to. Right. But I just, I also, oh my God, I fell in love with Alan Rickman. Like I discovered and fell in love with the bad guy. Which, yeah, I mean the sheriff of Nottingham, so unsavory oh, and just oh he's so man, so good at it. He is. He I, really is. Rest and, in peace. But just great oh God, at, yeah. at villainry in general. I mean everything he, every villain role that he touched, which in his career were many. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was amazing at it. I mean he was a master at that uh, kind of unsavory, uh, undesirable role. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But he just yeah, I, he fits during that time period too, like his look, you know, like oh yeah, sure. I, you know, I didn't see Die Hard till way way after that, and um, and I mean even you know Snape, like that's a hard one to figure out the time period of, like it can be present yeah. day, but it could be you know classic too. But he just he epitomizes Sheriff of Nottingham so well, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, oh, I agree. Oh, he's so good. All right, then fine, raise the bounty on his head, twenty five thousand crowns. Begging your pardon, sir, it won't do no good. How much you raise it? Really, scribe, and why is that? Because, sire, the poor, you see, he gives them what he takes, so, well, sire, they love him. Just a minute. Robin Hood steals money from my pocket, forcing me to hurt the public, and they love him for it? Yes. That's it then. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas. But everybody... So was this another one? Was this another one with you where Costner was kind of like, eh? Or were you like into Costner's it? my least favorite part of this Again. entire film. <laughs> Nice. I thought maybe I was going to get you to say not not that, but okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't. Like, the woman who plays Lady Marion is amazing. Um, Christian Slater, dude. Christian, yeah. Christian Slater's yeah. in this, and he kills. Obviously, Morgan Freeman is, like, the it's best amazing. ever. Um, Crazy, yeah. Michael he McShane. He in, like, 40 years either, which yeah. is weird. Uh, but, hi, yeah. I know. Michael McShane, who plays Friar Tuck, is hysterical. Um, uh, the guy who plays Lord Loxley. Uh, I didn't write down his name. Crap. Um, you know, he right. was amazing. Uh, oh, there's so many, so many good parts of I this agree. movie. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when um, Morgan Freeman. I'm sorry, it's not a Kevin Costner scene. He is nowhere to be found. But um, Morgan Freeman's under a tree, like praying or doing something. And the little girl goes up to him and she goes, did God paint you? And he says, yes. And she's like, why? And he's like, because Allah loves one that is variety. Like it's my favorite thing ever. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. My mom, my mom and I went to see this in the theater. I have a great theater experience memory uh, with, with this movie. And um, it's so funny because, uh, you know, I kind of have that thing with Costner I was telling you about. And Mm -hmm. my mom, kind of like had a crush on Kevin Costner. Yeah. And and she had a crush on Brian Adams, uh, the musician. Okay. So when this song was like huge, which we knew the song before we saw the movie because yeah. it was like on the radio radio yeah. a few months before. And uh, we were like, well, we got to go see it. I mean, it's Brian Adams and Kevin Costner, you know? So <laughs> my mom and I went to see Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I was probably in maybe ninth or 10th grade. Yeah. And uh, I just remember thinking it was really cool to share that with her, but also it kind of felt like maybe I was too young to be digging it um, or, you know, to be checking it out. Okay. But uh, but it was good. I mean, it's it a story that you know, you know, mm-hmm. and and I thought they did a really good job of kind of dialing it up for a modern time. You know yeah. what I mean? Good. Everything before that was the the leotards and like you know 
the Shakespearean versions of those characters. And not that this wasn't, but it, it felt more authentic and more modern the way they kind of played it off, you know? Yes, 100%. It definitely felt more realistic. And then whatever they did with recently with what's what's that guy's name that was in gladiator wasn't he robin hood too russell crowe yeah didn't he wasn't he just in no i think you're right actually but i don't think i saw that i didn't either because i i outwardly rejected it the second Um, i saw the trailer i was like no way but now that you're saying that uh, light bulbs are going off i do think that was a thing in the last couple years but i didn't see it yeah see it i didn't want to i was just like you can't besmirch my memory of the perfect robin hood so yeah come on yeah yeah. and i mean oh (laughs) This my last note that I'm just reading. I dressed up as yeah. Mordiana for Halloween a couple years ago. <laughs> nice. Like I did it. It was legit. I had like the humpback and the nails and everything. Crazy All hair. Right, well, it was awesome. well as they as they say, pics pics or it didn't happen. So I don't know if you got them on social <laughs> oh, media or not. But no, but I have I pictures. To... <laughs> All right. Okay. I just had to see those. All right. So um, you know, much like my pick at number three, my number two is a movie that recently. And I mean, like in the last few months, is a, is a movie I can't shut up about. Uh, I absolutely. <laughs> so I apologize again, but goddamn, this movie is so good. And uh, another one that I would probably put in my top ten or fifteen of the decade. Wow. It it, it is a foreign film. It's a French film, so I apologize. But I, I'm assuming you've at least heard of it. But it's a movie called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Why does that have you heard familiar? of it at least? I yeah, I think the title sounds familiar. Well, it takes place in. Uh, the coast of France in a town in a, in a township called Brittany, Brittany, France, in the late 18th century. And again, I won't give away any spoilers because it is a pretty recent film. It actually just came out this past November, I believe. Uh, so it's a pretty recent film, and it just came out on Blu-ray. So I know it's I know it's been pretty recent. But you know, the story is in the late 18th century, a a, a young diplomat woman has been uh, promised to a young man to marry, and she doesn't want to marry him. You know, she's it, it's been chosen. She doesn't love him. She doesn't know him, right? That whole story. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to, she's being very resistant to having her portrait painted. So they hire a young woman to paint her portrait and she travels to France to paint the portrait of, of her. Uh, but she can't let the girl know that she's painting her. So she's supposed to just be her companion and read books with her and go on walks with her. Uh, but she's never supposed to lead on that she's there to paint her wedding portrait. Okay. Mm. So over the course of you know the several weeks that they spend together, they develop a friendship that eventually turns into a romance. Uh, so it is a lesbian romance story. And Boom. It's these two, <laughs> these two, <laughs> these two women that um, just have this very short-lived, uh, passionate, like almost like soulmate um, finding of each other during this period of a few weeks that they're together in Brittany and. The the ending of this film, and I've said this on the show before too, um, but the ending of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like the last like, and I'm talking about like the last like five minutes of this movie, is like literally soul crushing. Like Aww. you can't move uh, based on the feelings that your body is feeling uh, for these characters and what they're going through. I mean, it's like some of the most emotional and moving piece of cinema I've ever seen. It's a female filmmaker who also happens to be lesbian. Her name is Celine Sciamma. She's a French filmmaker. Uh, So her passion and her dedication to this project, you can see because it's, it's obviously subject matter that is really important to her. Hmm. Uh, But it's such a beautiful, uh, and the cinematography is amazing because it is the coast of France. So Mm -hmm. it's like, and they filmed on location. So, I mean, it's just absolutely mesmerizing to look at. 
And I love to, and it's the last thing I'll say about Portrait um, for you because I know because I know you haven't seen it, which won't give anything away plot wise. But what I love about it is that it's told through the female lens, mm-hmm. okay? Because this is a female filmmaker, but not only that, a female gay filmmaker, mm-hmm. and she's filming that type of love story as well. Whereas in traditionally in Hollywood, all of the lesbian stories or the gay stories that we get are told through the opposite sex. So it's usually a male director, right? Yeah. Or even a male or even a male screenwriter perhaps. Mm-hmm. So that's not the case here and the way that the the lesbian romance is portrayed on screen is so different from anything we've seen, which is a blessing and a curse because uh, that should not be the case. Like we should have been seeing realized realistic versions of that in the last you know 50 years but we haven't yeah we've seen we've seen this kind of dialed up like uh you know almost like uh lustful portrayal of of lesbians and of of gay folks Mm -hmm. and that's not the way it is in real life especially in 18th century france so uh it's amazing i mean it's a beautiful movie you do have to read subtitles because it's in french Mm -hmm. uh but like i tell my family i I mean i have subtitles on for everything so i don't (laughs) care i mean i literally have subtitles on for like you know Seinfeld reruns so I don't care Um, but if you're if you're okay with that then I would say give it a go I mean it's a beautiful beautiful love story so portrait of a lady on fire which is 2019 is my number two all right Melissa so we're looking good here I mean no crossover yet which I guess is not too surprising because it's such a broad topic yeah you kind of go in so many different directions but I'm excited what's your number one oh my goodness um, so my number one is actually very female-led as well, a uh, female director, heavy female cast. Um, again, this came out so uh, so long ago that I was it was very like instrumental to me and like kind of building who I became as like a teenager and then as a young woman especially. Um, it came out in 1992, so I was about 14. Um, half of these women I had never seen before. Um, some of them were very like only focused on their main career and then they, you know, highlighted as an actor in this one film. And then it also features David Strathairn again, who I totally love. <laughs> I can't you believe do. He, you I can't do. believe he bookended my <laughs> my list. That's you so do. weird. I just realized that. But it was directed by Penny Marshall. It was set during World War II because they were afraid that baseball was going to be going away because all of the men were at war. So they developed the All American Girls Professional Baseball League and they turned it into the movie A League of Their Own. Hell yeah, they did. Love this movie. Did oh, you? Uh, what's up? I don't want. To, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I want you to talk about it. But did you, uh, by chance, have you listened to my top five sports movies? Episode? No, not yet. So I talked about this. It made my top five, and I, I have a little story about this that Yay. I think you're going to really uh, you're going to really like. But go ahead, remind me to tell you. But go ahead. So why did you pick this one as your number one? Yeah, because like I said, because a because it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, true, true. It the, again. These ensemble casts, when like you can't tell that any one person is better than another actor, like they're just all on par with each other. Even though you know one of them is Tom Hanks and one of them is Gina Davis, and but then you have like Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell, who really wasn't in a whole lot before this, but she like stuck out for me major. Um, the woman who played Marla Hooch, Megan Cavanaugh, every scene she was in would have me in tears because just you know I grew up as kind of a tomboy too, and. Mm-hmm. She, the, the one of the most memorable scenes I have of her is when she's first getting recruited and her father is explaining to John Lovitz's character, the recruiter, like, yeah, I raised her up as a boy, but she's got to kill her arm. She's this amazing player. 
And John Lovitz was rejecting her because she wasn't very pretty. And he had just recruited Gina Davis and Lori Petty, who were like super gorgeous. And the dad's like, I'm sorry, she doesn't have a mom. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't focusing on raising her to be beautiful like these girls. I was raising her to be a kind of like a boy. And I'm just uh, buckets of tears and just <laughs> every right, right. freaking time I see that. And it just, just touches my heart because like I said, it like kind of made me into you know, the woman that I am today, which is like super important to me. Um, but even the, like those, the other actors, like Gary Marshall <laughs> as the, the, yeah, yeah. the Harvey bar owner, right. John Lovitz, like I mentioned. John Lovitz. Yeah, sure. He's hysterical. Lori um, Petty. I think you did. You yeah, mention Lori Petty. Lori Petty. Love her. Love her. Tom Hanks. I mean, come on. <sighs> so good. There's so many well, good movies. My- Sorry. My story about this. No, no. My story about this. Uh, I was gonna. I wasn't gonna repeat myself. Had you heard it on that episode, but uh, was a really cool story about this movie for me. Is my sister and I got passes to go see this, uh, like an advanced screening, like a couple weeks before it came out to the public. Oh wow! At a theater in Charlotte, North Carolina, but it was a special event. And my grandmother got us the tickets for it. It was a special event that the, the some of the surviving members. <gasps> Of the All American Girls Baseball League were there at the theater. Oh my god! And, and they did it. They did an intro where they came up in front of you know and did like an intro about why the movie was important to them and you know their time with with the league and and they stayed there and they had a reserve row for them and they were there watching the movie with us. So that was just like and oh. I didn't know anything like I knew zilch about the story when I came to this event. So not only did I see it you know being told through Penny Marshall's vision on screen, but I saw or I heard. You know their kind of recount of it for ten or fifteen minutes before the movie started. So it was a really cool thing that I experienced uh, back then as a young kid. Again, I was probably tenth or eleventh grade at the time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, I was probably the youngest dude there. Well, my sister was because she's five years younger than me. But uh-huh. <laughs> but we were probably the youngest people there. But oh, uh, man. but it was it was a really cool experience. So I, I always take that with me. And on top of that, I mean, it's obviously an amazing movie. It was on my. This one was also on my top five Tom Hanks movies. Oh, okay. I think this is one of his best roles. Wow. Uh, yeah, I love him, and uh, I think he's he just shines in this movie. Yeah, as Jimmy, just uh, the comedic like timing. <laughs> you know, are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Oh you my know? god, you sound like him. <laughs> oh my god, he does the whole that whole scene is one of the best scenes, man. It just cracks me up every single time. I will laugh at it. You know, yeah, so. it's such a memorable scene. Like you've said, iconic in this in some of the movies that we've talked about, and yeah, that is one of the most iconic scenes. Like now in movie history, one of the scenes, another one of the scenes that like really stood out to me. Like even as a kid, before I started learning about like feminism, before I started to learn about civil rights, like I said, I was thirteen, fourteen when this movie came out. Um, there's a scene where Gina Davis and God, the blonde woman who's like super, super pretty. I can't remember her name. They're just tossing the ball back and forth, whatever. And the ball Betty, kind of... right? Her name is... I think her character name is Betty, I think. Is it Betty Spaghetti who I'm thinking of? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, is it? I can't remember. Shit, now I don't know either. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw you off. Go ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. She was... Yeah. God, I'm so... I literally have seen... Out of all the movies in my list, I've seen this the most and I can't remember her name. Anyway, they're throwing the ball back and forth and the baseball kind of goes towards um, the fence, like rolls way, way, way out. And Gina Davis turns around and there's a bunch of black women watching the two of them practice. And she holds her hand up. She's like, hey, can you pass that to me? So the one black woman picks it up and just wails it. It goes over Gina Davis's head. The other girl has to like go way, way, way back to try and catch it. And when she catches it, she's like, ow, my hand hurt. Right. And again, a work. I love these like wordless scenes. Like nobody said right. anything, but Gina Davis looked at that woman like, wow, you're amazing. You should be on this team with us. And right. the 
other woman looked at her like, yeah, I should be, but I can't because like, right. no gave, colors. Gave that little, like, that, right. It yeah. was like a little bit of symbolism built yeah. into that. And it just, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps now talking about it. And again, every time I watch that scene, I just get all teary. And like I did then when I watched it, like I said, I didn't understand mm-hmm. What was going on? But I was like, and, "Why isn't that lady allowed to play?" <laughs> you know, right, it's right, like right. So and strange. kudos, and, and kudos. I mean, obviously Marshall shot it, right? But kudos to the movie studio and their producers for keeping that in the final cut as well, because obviously, you know, you don't quote unquote need that scene for the movie for the narrative of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but to keep that in there, there is a level of symbolism, you know, built into that, which I think is important, especially today as we're sitting here talking. So hi, exactly, yeah, yeah. I, agree, it, I agree with you. It keeps to the time period too, you know. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. Oh, so many good, uh, great movie. I mean, I, you know, I love it. I didn't think about it for this list. Had had I thought about it for the list, it probably would have been in my top five or at least ten uh, as well. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I love that film. So League of Their Own is your number one. Mm-hmm. Now, look, uh, I told you at the top of the show that there's a movie that is in my top 25 movies of all time across any genre that I I have never had an opportunity to talk about on this show at length before. I am so excited. Uh, And it fits into this category. Now, there is a chance, Melissa, that you don't like it. If you don't, just tell me. Uh, I'll, I'll still gush about it. Don't worry. I'm almost, I'm, I'm 99.9% positive that you've seen it. Cause I don't know anyone in the world who hasn't, um, including my seven year old son who just saw it recently. And, uh, there's a fun little story about that, but it is James Cameron's Titanic is my number one. <laughs> Go ahead. What do you have to say before I get into my, uh, Titanic spiel? You've seen this, I hope. No, I haven't. <laughs> Oh my God! You haven't really. Oh, I would have never thought. I didn't. Would have never thought. I was. I'm sorry to set it up like that. I honestly would have never thought you would have not had a chance to see this. It's not that I didn't have a chance. It came out more than 20 years ago. I've had multiple true, chances. True. There's true. reasons why I didn't. See. Oh, okay. Well, do you want to elaborate, or should I? What do you want? What do you want to say? Okay. All right. Go I ahead. go ahead. I. I okay. First of all, I don't even think I've seen a lot of James Cameron movies. Maybe if I like look back on his list of what he's done, maybe I could pick out more. But off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot. Like, I don't, maybe he's just not my wheelhouse. I don't know. It has nothing to do with him, like I said. And it has nothing to do with... Obviously, I love period pieces as well. We just went over that. Mm-hmm. My strongest objection was that after Basketball Diaries, Leonardo DiCaprio went in the toilet for me. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow! Unless you know, Gilbert probably, Grape came pro- out after Basketball Diaries, um, I think I think Gilbert Grape did come out after. But uh, you know, that's a bit of that would probably be considered what they would call an unpopular opinion, Melissa. You know that, right? He's oh, okay. a pretty well revered actor. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I'm typical uh, I mean, with unpopular opinions. Right. Right. You revel in it. Mm. Um, I mean, I do love Leo. I do feel like this is probably his most kind of like, uh, I don't know what the word, like buffoonish kind of role, I would guess, where it doesn't really require his acting talents for it necessarily. He's just kind of a pawn in this love story in mm-hmm. Titanic. First of all, what I love about this movie, the level, this came out in 1997, right? Mm-hmm. So the level of dedication that Cameron and his team put into recreating this historical event from 1912 that was in a time when you know photographs were just being invented there was obviously no video recordings or they were very early stages as well uh so there's not a lot of historical record in terms of visually 
what's going on. But what does exist, which really came mostly from 1985 when they found the wreckage, uh, he took that and he literally recreated to the teacups and the little doilies on the table. Uh, just an immense amount of detail went into the recreation of this film for accuracy purposes. Wow. Now, what I want to ask you, Melissa, as a history buff and as somebody who's into books and, and so on and so forth and, and biopics like you mentioned before, is if you can think of a, of a moment in history, okay, and how there would be no way, and I'm talking about for the rest of all time, for the rest of our time on this earth and our kids and our grandkids and everybody, there would, there would not be a way to see that and what that was like. Uh, you know, the sinking of the Titanic is a fascinating event in history to me because, uh, well, I'll get into that in a second, but James Cameron's movie shows us that. Mm -hmm. It shows us if you were, you know, there or if you were in the lifeboat as one of the survivors and you were watching this, this ship go underwater in the middle of this vast ocean, it showed us as a viewer... Uh, 80 years later when the movie came out what that was like mm -hmm. do, do you know what I mean and it's a recreation and an homage to this very historic event now the sinking of the Titanic is fascinating to me because to me it's kismet to me it's fate because you have this vast ocean thousands of miles of of uh, path that they could take and you're going to tell me that this ship is on path with this iceberg in the middle of the ocean <laughs> yeah and that's the path they take and that's what happens and i also have seen a lot of documentaries and history stuff about it and there's also rumor or it's thought to be that if the ship had stayed straight it would have not sunk if it had hit the iceberg straight on it would have not sunk hmm. but since but since they decided to veer to the right and it struck the side of the ship uh, as we know the ship went down hmm. so it's just a crazy kind of like are you effing kidding me that all these factors went into play to, for this for this quote unquote unsinkable ship yeah. to go to go down? Um, and I'm getting away from the period piece discussion and more talking about the history of the Titanic, which I apologize, but no, but that's uh, a, that's an era in American history. Like that's a really <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just fascinating, you know. And I would almost I would almost give you homework to not even necessarily watch the whole movie. But if you start at the sinking, if you start at the, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've seen the iconic, Just you know, iceberg ahead right ahead. <laughs> right, right, right. But it really is like two movies. Like I'm not even trying to be funny. Like you have the first half of the movie, which is the romance between Jack and Rose. And then the second hour or the last hour of the film is really the sinking of the ship. Uh, Cause in real time, it took like two and a half hours for the ship to go underwater. Wow. Uh, and he kind of condenses that down to the last hour, hour and 20, something like that. And it's very like, like you would think that would you you know, hearing me say that for someone that's never seen it you might be like Jesus like I gotta wait this long for this thing to go down you know <laughs> but but it's very like I mean the way Cameron does it it's it's great because you're invested in a lot of the characters that he follows throughout this you know uh, story and what he does is uh, much like I was talking about on, on my a couple of my other picks but he takes this historical event that we all know. That's obviously real, right? And he creates this fictionalized story within it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really cool too. You know, like if you can take something that really happened and so you have a true story, you know, here you have nonfiction and then you just kind of create this fictional story and you blend them together. I really love that type of storytelling as well. Quentin Tarantino does it a lot too in a lot of his movies. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I mean, I'm sorry to go on and on. I, I can't believe you haven't seen it. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> no. Uh, I set it up like, oh yeah, of course you've seen this. <laughs> And then you're, and then you're like, no, I haven't seen it. But yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's a must. It is must watch cinema. 
I know I'm going to get some heat for it. I know it's kind of become a <laughs> it's become a punchline. It's become a caricature. I I get it. But the history of the Titanic is so fascinating, and James Cameron's dedication to filmmaking and bringing it to life just mesmerized me. Yeah. Um, and it still does. I mean, I just watched it a couple months ago with my son, and you know, he's a Titaniac now. He's ah. like watching all that things uh-huh. on YouTube and everything. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But yeah, I love this. I can't believe you haven't seen it as a history buff. Is this um, on your radar at all or no? Nope. <laughs> nope. I was going to ask, does it count that I've seen the Poseidon Adventure? No. That was a doesn't. damn good movie. It, it doesn't, but that is good. <laughs> okay. That is good. Um, so check it out. Definitely, first of all, I didn't know that they had only discovered the wreckage in 1985. So then if you think about that, it was only 12 years later. That, like you said, he recreated this to like a T. That is amazing. That is obviously dedication, hard work, like fantastic. And I'm sure the like filmmaking stuff, like like all the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. had to have just been, you know, you've had to have a master team to to recreate and do what they did and everything like that. I totally 100% respect to like the art department. And like, I see, yeah, you're right. All the like little clips that I have seen, like the costumes are amazing and the sets and, you know, all that. Totally get it. Um, Yeah. And, you know, the week before our episode, this one that we're recording airs, uh, I'm going to be doing another top five and another movie is going to come up on that list. It's called Pearl Harbor. And that's a very similar kind of like... mentality for me because what I love about those is they're so iconic in history mm-hmm. but there's no visual evidence for us we know the story so well yeah, but we right. can't see the story mm-hmm. so what Cameron does in Titanic is he shows us uh, the shipwreck and I mean this guy did I mean I've seen behind the scenes I mean this guy did a ton of research and brought in a ton of people to get it as accurate as he possibly could yeah. to how long this you know how the ship went down and how long it took and like what ha- you know what I mean all that stuff and you know the 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 attack on Pearl Harbor in that movie uh, is very similar because we don't have any visual evidence of that, but that's such an iconic historical event. And uh, Roland Emmerich films that uh, filmed that one, and he you know has the planes coming in and dropping the Japanese planes dropping the bombs on the ships in Pearl Harbor, and yeah. uh, you know what I mean. So it's kind of the same way for me, where that's why that's why it's so intriguing to me because it's like oh cool, you know, thanks to these filmmakers, I can I can now it's almost like I was there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I 100% get that too, because I, so one of my other favorite genres to read, like not, you know, just King or whatever, is historical fiction. And it's exactly what you're talking about. You take fake characters or a fake scenario and plop it into a real life historical, you know, situation. So yeah, that's totally 100% one of my favorite things. That's in fact, there's a movie on my honorable mentions that fits that like perfectly. So yeah, I definitely get that. Like the, the 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 adding of like a new scenario in the already mm-hmm. known historical era kind of creates mm-hmm. that visual for you, whether it's through a movie or a book or a TV show or something like that. So right, no, yeah, fair. no, well, I thank, get that. Thank you for being my sounding board for Titanic. Of course, I'm so sorry. And listen, don't do you know how many people like I get oh, a lot of crap man. for a lot of movies that I like. So I I would never like yeah. snark on you for yeah, yeah. you like Titanic like. I mean, I'm not worried about that. I mean, if you know me, you know, I'm not worried about that. I'm a Taylor Swifty, you know what I mean? Exactly. Okay. So I'm just listening. The first uh, ever episode of yours that I listened to was um, your top five Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. My favorite movie of all time is Top Gun. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. So when you and Wayne brought that up, I was just cheering. I was just so happy because somebody agreed with me. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, but I, you know, I love Titanic. I mean, I told you all the reasons why, and it's just so crazy mm-hmm. that it hasn't. I haven't had a chance to talk about it on the show before That's, for whatever reason. It ha- have you ever done like top anything. five James? No, you guess I guess you haven't done. No, it. we haven't done James. By the way, this is a very different James Cameron movie. This is unlike anything he's ever done. He okay. usually stays. He usually stays in the sci-fi kind of like action realm. Oh, um, so, okay. so this is very different for him. Um, got you, got you. Oh, yeah, of, he did Avatar, didn't he? He did, and he did Terminator 2. <gasps> that's um, like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, that's James Cameron. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't All right, know a lot of so stuff like that. We're, yeah, so Melissa, we're going to head over to social media to wrap up here in a second. But before we do that, I'd like to give you a chance to shout out any honorable mentions that didn't make your top five. So what do you have over there? Okay, so I did keep it to five, even though I had a ton more. Um, Mm -hmm. So to cut it down, this was actually an HBO TV movie, but it tells the story of um, a couple of the like not so well-known suffragettes during uh, World War One when women were trying to get the vote to be passed, Um, and it's called Iron Jawed Angels, Mm -hmm. Um, and it focuses on this one suffragette named Alice Paul who was imprisoned so many times, and then there were like they were doing like hunger strikes and all this kinds of stuff to you know get their point across basically. Um, And it's just again an amazing cast. Hillary Swank, awesome. I love her in everything. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's really good. But it's, you know, it was a, an HBO TV movie. Um, the one I was talking about that definitely fits the historical fiction genre, um, Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's it was a book first and then they turned it into a movie and it was set during, uh, during World War II. A uh, German family who the father was like literally the second or third, you know, commander down from Hitler moved right in front okay. of a concentration camp in Auschwitz. Yeah, I'm familiar with that one, but I never saw it. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's just it puts you into the the side that you don't normally see. Like we hear a lot, unfortunately, about the, the horrors in the concentration camps, but you don't see how the general public kind of was dealing with it or, you know, what their take was about it or if they even knew what was going on at all. So it was, it was really great. And the book is amazing too. Uh, Zodiac with oh, yeah, good one. Mark Ruffalo, yeah, sure. Robert Downey Jr., Anthony yeah, Edwards. Fincher film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those people that I love and such an interesting story about the Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to research him in high school and came up with nothing. I know that's still the case now. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Tombstone. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Do, I didn't do any. I didn't do any westerns, but uh, I do love Tombstone. I love that movie so much. I Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. Yeah, Val Kilmer. I love him and mm-hmm. Sam Elliott. Mm, so good. Yeah. And then X Men First Class. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to round out my top ten. You guys know I do that here on the piece. So my number six would have been another recent film. It came out in 2018. It was a movie called The Favorite. By Yorgos Lanthimos, it tells the story in 18th century England of Queen Anne. Are you familiar with The Favorite? I've heard of it, yes. I think I wanted to see it, and I never did. Yeah, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne as a dark comedy, and she actually won the Oscar that year for her uh, portrayal as Best Actress, so it's a great movie. Cool. My number seven is another recent one. It just came out last year. It's it's. I I like the 1994 version, but I'm naming the 2019 version of Little Women. Mm-hmm. My number seven. Have you seen either of the uh, adaptations? The 1994. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, too. And we were talking about Winona Ryder earlier, so you know I love it. Yeah. But uh, the one that Greta Gerwig did last year was just phenomenal. You liked I mean, it? it cost, oh, so so good. So mm-hmm. good. One of the best films of the year last year, easily. She should have been nominated for Best Director for that. A female filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, got snubbed yet again. Uh, but yeah, just it was it was great. Uh, my number eight would have been The Prestige, which mm-hmm. is a Christopher Nolan film about two magicians in 19th century London. You ever seen The Prestige? I know, but I've heard about it, and it's always looked amazing and sounded very cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great movie. And my number nine would have been the only one that has kind of hints of war, a war story in there, but it's not a war movie, I didn't think. But it takes place in the early 1900s in uh, the Midwestern U.S., but it's a movie called Legends of the Fall. (gasps) I love that movie. That was almost on my list. Oh, cool. (laughs) Okay, great. That right, almost so made kind, my honorable mentions, but I had to I had to turn that list down. But oh, so, so kind, oh, so good. kind, yeah, kind of crossover there. I mean, Julia Ormond is the lead female actress in this, and she's kind of in a love triangle with the two brothers, mm-hmm. portrayed by Aiden Quinn and Brad Pitt. Yeah, and my and my, what I'm going to say right now is, if you're Julia Ormond and uh, Brad Pitt's your brother-in-law, I mean, come on, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but also, don't snub Aiden uh, Quinn either. God, I'm not. Yeah. Oh my I'm god. I'm only. I'm, a, I'm only joking. But uh, I mean, Brad Pitt in '94 was looking okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, let's see. My number ten, and to round out my list, would have been a movie called Amadeus from 1984. Okay. Telling the story basically of Mozart, a Milos Forman film in the '80s. The music, the score, the cinematography, and it just still it tells the story of one of the most famous classical musicians, and it tells it in a very kind of hip, um, updated way, which was very unique, I thought. So Amadeus would be would round out my list. Melissa, what I like to do at the end of the show is just head over to social media and see what the fans had to say. <laughs> so we'll start over on Twitter. So let's see. My buddy Caleb from Netflix and Swill has got Casablanca. Are you a fan of that one? Oh my god, that's another one of my favorites too. I just see. Okay, when do you know when that came out? It was in the forties, but I don't know the exact year. I want to say forty-two, maybe. I feel like that's in the same time period as it was when it was filmed. I feel like it was too, so it wouldn't fit the brief for me. But yeah. it is a it is a classic. Oh, book. that's one of my favorite movies. I guess it's hard to really. In Caleb's defense, I guess it's hard to really decipher that though, because we're in the 2020. Do you know what I mean? So, I would I would think of it as a period piece. I'm like, oh yeah, it took place in the 40s, but also they probably filmed it in the 40s. <laughs> so, so, so I get it. Yeah. Uh, Word Salad Radio. They said Carrie. No, seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they so they, I think they were the first ones to make the joke. So I was I was into it. Uh, but they said the prestige, a futile and stupid gesture, Captain America: The First Avenger mm, would be their nice. would be their period pieces. Michelle D, patron of the show, she said Little Women, and she said she'll do either ninety four or two thousand nineteen. Awesome. Uh, so obviously, I agree with her there. The So Wizard podcast has got The Witch, which is one that I mentioned. Nice. And then and then they've got Crimson Peak and Sleepy Hollow. I'm a big fan of Sleepy Hollow. What about you? No, I love it. Yeah, I'm a big Washington Irving fan. So, yeah, that's that was a great one. Yeah, Tim Burton, too, as a mm-hmm. filmmaker, which is great there. Yep. A uh, friend of the show, Gidget Von LaRue, hey. over in Australia. She says, Howard's End, Amadeus, The Name of Rose, which I don't know that one. No, I don't either. Excalibur and Gone with the Wind. That's her list. Okay, yeah, I I was torn with Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, getting a little bit of negative attention right now too, just because of everything that's going on and the depiction of plantations, and uh, which of course I understand and sympathize with. Um, but it's a tough spot to be in for that that piece of kind of cinematic history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But that's one again. That's one of my favorite movies. So. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Netflix and Swill, our buddy Dan over there has got uh, a gif of Eddie Murphy from Dolomite is My Name, which is a 1970s set film. Did you ever see that one? It's a Netflix original? No, I heard I heard that everybody was raving about it. That came out last year, right? Or two years ago? It did. It came out last year. Eddie Murphy was in talks for possibly getting an Academy Award nomination for it. He didn't, of course, because Academy rarely gets it right. But uh, <laughs> he portrays uh, Rudy Ray Moore, who uh, was just a genius and uh, kind of ahead of his time there. So that's what that movie's from. Wow. And then he, he also shared a gift from the Grand 
Budapest Hotel. Did you ever see that one? Okay, no, I haven't. I know of it, but never saw it. Wes Anderson film. Uh, the Cinema Guys, I believe that's Brad over there. He's got Kingdom of Heaven, Elizabeth, and L.A. Confidential. Oh, Elizabeth, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. MDX Pods mentioned Braveheart. I figured a lot of people would. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Be the Solution on Twitter says Gosford Park, Elizabeth, and An Ideal Husband, which I don't know that last one. Yeah, I don't either. So a movie that would probably be my number 11 uh, is mentioned by Innovation Festival on Twitter. It's Remains of the Day. Did you ever see that one? No. I know. I've heard a lot about that. That's Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Anthony Hopkins. Oh, crap. So I'm thinking something else. Sorry. Close. <laughs> close. No, it's okay. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to make me feel uh, better. It's okay. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Watson and... Uh, Anthony Hopkins portrays uh, this butler in, I want to say, this uh, early 20th century, so it's early 1900s. Okay. And um, she's the head of the, the kitchen, and he's the butler of the house, and they kind of form a uh, friendship that kind of turns into a, a romance. Oh, okay. So, and they're the two kind of servitudes in the house, so it's, hmm. it's, it's a really cool love story. Let's see. Uh, as we go through here, Roses Have Thoughts on Twitter says Gladiator, Ben-Hur, and Spartacus. All very similar movies, Roses yeah. Have Thoughts. I don't know. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, but those are all really good, though. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I just kind of stayed away from uh, wartime films for the most part. But those are all really good. Yep. And then Minnesota Froggy on Twitter says Gatsby with your boy Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Mm. Most yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I Did hated, you see the? No, I didn't because I hated that book. I hated that book in high school. Oh, okay. Not You're not a fan of the Greg Gatsby. Okay. Deal with it. <laughs> All right. Well, we will wrap up on the Facebook fan page, guys. If you have not joined up yet, please make sure you join up to the Facebook fan community because that is where we interact with our friends the most, as Melissa will tell you. Yep. So let's see what we got over there. Uh, Phil Rude also made the carry joke, but he said he was just kidding, and he. Uh, <laughs> Instead, gave us Gladiators, or Gladiator. He also mentioned Inside, Lewin Davis, The Natural, and Hoosiers. Hmm. I love Hoosiers. That's the one in the, I want to say it takes place in the 50s or 60s with Gene Hackman as the basketball coach. And he's uh, oh, okay. kind of an alcoholic, and he's got this high school basketball team. Oh, but that's okay. a good one. And the natural is baseball, right? That's right. Yep, natural is baseball. Okay. Uh, let's see. Tony Vandenbush on the Facebook page says, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Untouchables, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> Look, looky there. Yep. And To Kill a Mockingbird was like my number 11. But okay. again, right. it was just like, it's it's so popular. Mm-hmm. It just kind of fell out of the wheelhouse for me a little bit. But. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, Christiani started his post with saying, which period? <laughs> so, again, <laughs> again, I think people were a little thrown with the topic, but he did come up with a pretty good list here. He says, The King's Speech, which is one we didn't mention tonight, oh, but that's a great Oscar-winning so film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says, Little Women, Master and Commander, Braveheart, and Ben-Hur. Nice. So all good picks there. Mm-hmm. Travis Crawford, who I was just a guest on his show. I love that dude. Mm-hmm. Travis says The King's Speech, Barry Lyndon, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Prestige, and Rob Roy. Mm-hmm. And then Julio from The Contrarians Yay. has a gif of Kate Winslet. And he says, Sense and Sensibility is where it all began for me and Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And now... Julio, I named her in Titanic, so I don't know what Melissa's doing over there, but I got I got Kate Winslet for you. <laughs> I 
I could not name my favorite Jane Austen movie. I appreciate Sense and Sensibility, don't what? get me wrong, but I couldn't name yeah. my favorite because it was a TV movie. Oh, okay. Which one is it? Pride and Prejudice from A&E. Oh, from the TV. Okay. Yeah. Oh, All right. Man, so good. But, oh, yeah. You... No, Kate Winslet, Sense and Sensibility. I'm with you. Yeah. And Alan Rickman's in that, too. So He is in that. I was going to mention that, too. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen that in a while, but I, I do have fond memories of that film. Oh, God. It's so good. Uh, let's see. Amanda, good friend of the show. She's got Pride and Prejudice. Also, she also has Brooklyn, Elizabeth. Getting a lot of shouts for Elizabeth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, far from the matting crowd. I don't know that one. Hmm. And then the most recent Little Women that we talked about. Okay. Daniel from the movie Journey. He's got Gladiator, Little Women, and Miller's Crossing, a Coen Brothers film that we didn't mention yet. That is a great film that I want to say is set in the, I think, the 60s. Okay. 50s, 50s or 60s. I haven't seen it in a while, but Miller's Crossing is a great film. Uh, let's see. Paul from The Countdown. You know Yay. him. It's a good dude. He said Braveheart, Gladiator, and then he wants to know if Saving Private Ryan counts. I, I think so. he just wants. Yeah, I think so. But I think he just wants to put that on everything that he <laughs> mentions because he loves that movie. Yeah, he's actually he's actually going to come on our Patreon series and we're going to do a retrospective of Private Ryan. So, oh yeah, uh, not surprised that he picked that one. Very cool. And then I'll wrap up with David Powell, uh, a good friend of the show who who is always giving feedback. But he says Idiot Box. I don't know that movie. Though. I don't. Either. Do you? No. David, I don't know Idiot Box, so I guess maybe I'm the subject of the film. I don't know, but I need to. I, <laughs> I'm its namesake. I don't know. I need to look it up, though, David. But thank you for the feedback. So that's it, guys. That was our top five, what we're calling period piece films. Um, you know, I kind of try to narrow my parameters down to Melissa to try to stay in somewhat of an avenue. And you did really well, too, over there with your picks. I can't believe you haven't seen Titanic. <laughs> oh, my God. We have got to get on that. We've got to figure that out. We can do a watch party together. God, I don't know what you want to like do. but four hours long? It's two and a half. All but right. uh, like I said, just start an hour in and you'll be fine. I mean, okay. you know what happens. I mean, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> this is true. No spoilers. <laughs> well, Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Uh, like I said, uh, I've endeared myself to you lately, and I'm glad to finally get you on the show. You're a hoot, and uh, I've just enjoyed getting to know you. Why don't you tell all the folks where they can find you online, huh? Thank you so much. Yeah, I. Um, so you can look up the Brook Reading Podcast on uh, my website, actually, www.brookreadingpodcast.com, and that will give you all the links to all of the most recent episodes, as well as blogs that correspond with the particular episode. So if there's like articles I wanted to post, or I write my own blogs about the different episodes, uh, the things that I cover, that's all on there. But you can find me on all the podcatcher apps too: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc., Stitcher, Spreaker, all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Look her up, guys. I'll put your information in the show notes. So refer to that, too, if you need to, folks, uh, for Melissa's info. Melissa, thanks so much for being here, okay? I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Absolutely. All right, guys. So, so until next week, we will have another top five for you and another P on the pod. Until then, I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.
Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.